Welcome to the D&D Podcast. I'm your host today, Jeremy Crawford, and with me are Chris Perkins. Hello. Rodney Thompson. Hey, everybody. And our very special guest, Kim Mohan. Present. <laughs> now, uh, today is the day before Kim Mohan's last day with us at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, as many of our listeners know, Kim has been our esteemed managing editor for Dungeons & Dragons for now five editions of the game. Kim was also the editor-in-chief of Dragon Magazine, Amazing Stories, and the author of the first edition hardbound book, The Wilderness Survival Guide. Many of us uh, at Wizards have had the pleasure of working with him for years, and I, I can safely say for all of us, we are very sad uh, that tomorrow... Uh, will be the kickoff of his much-deserved retirement. And so we we have uh, asked him to join us today, so really we can riddle him with questions um, on air uh, before he rides off into the sunset. Um, and so with the first question, uh, we have Chris Perkins. Uh, so tell us, how did you first get started with D&D, and what had you been up to before then? Um, well, the, the brief story of how I hooked up with TSR is chronicled in the Silver Anniversary box set that we put out shortly after we came out to Wizards, and I had a chance to tell that story in print, and it is kind of the short version. So here's the, uh, you know, not But for those much. of us who weren't born then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many old jokes am I going to have to tell? All of them. <clears throat> I am the old joke. <laughs> um, I came to uh, TSR and to this industry as a refugee from newspaper writing. I started my writing career, as it turned out to be, um, working as a sports writer and writing obits and pretty much anything that a daily newspaper with a circulation of 25,000 needed me to do. After the better part of a decade doing whatever I, they needed me to do, I felt like I was bumping my head on the ceiling. and I was still a young buck, so I set out for greener pastures. A friend of mine who lived in Lake Geneva, I, I grew up in Williams Bay, which is five miles from Lake Geneva, which as we all should know, is the world headquarters of TSR back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine, I was, you know, sitting on his couch one night, and I said, yeah, I probably ought to try to find another job. And he, he said that he'd gotten wind of a, of a publishing enterprise in Lake Geneva that was starting up, and, and these guys were, you know, they were trying to make a magazine, and it sounded like the kind of thing that I might be able to help them with. So I got a little bit of the particulars, and... Soon after that, I went and knocked on the door of TSR Periodicals, walked in the door of uh, a fairly well-kept-up ramshackle wooden house on uh, 723 William Street in Lake Geneva, walked in the door, and uh, eventually got myself into what amounted to a job interview. And as I told, in, uh, told the story in the uh, Silver Anniversary piece, uh, when I came in the door of the building, the first thing I saw of my soon-to-be boss was the bottoms of his bare feet. <laughs> he was relaxed back on his on his desk chair, sitting back like he didn't have a care in the world. And as I came to discover, he really didn't. Uh, <laughs> Tim Cask was the guy who hired me. Um, I, I had a short sort of audition. I, I explained to him my experience and the fact that I thought I could do the work that he needed a, some kind of a manuscript evaluator to do. So he sent me home with an armload of paper, and I... I did what I do, and I brought it back with marks all over the pages and, and essentially got hired on the spot the next week. Uh, and uh, here I am today. 
It's uh, an auspicious beginning. Well, it, little did I know, right? At that <laughs> time, uh, yeah. I was 30 years old, and mm -hmm. I was certainly thinking in terms of doing something in the writing sphere as a career, but who could have known that I was going to spend the rest of my life in essentially one place, right? Yeah. And and for our listeners who don't who don't realize, Kim is the person who has worked on Dungeons & Dragons longer than anybody else. Yeah, that's right. So what has kept you invested all these years? Um, well, I simply love the work, but I, I know that's not a, a very good answer. Um, I think right from the start, when I first understood what Dungeons & Dragons was and, and what I think I understood that it was trying to do, I was really intrigued about this, this way of communicating and entertaining people by, you know, a vehicle for writing fiction that also had a structure that enabled you to recreate the experience. Um, it all just felt so fresh to me that, I'm, well, like, like many other people in the world at that point in time, I sort of had it in my blood. Um, and since then, from a, a more professional, you know, sort of clinical viewpoint, I think I've always had a, a good respect for what the game is and what, what it's trying to be. And I think there are principles of communication and, and uh, interaction with the reader that, that I can bring to the job to make that experience more compelling. I mean, we are, the material we produce is, is the seed that, that gets planted in everybody else's brains and it needs to grow from there. I think we need to produce information and uh, inspirational material that will you know, enable that seed to, to grow and flourish. And my job is all about making that communication with the other reader's brain as, as clear and effective as I, as I can make it. And that, that doesn't change from edition to edition. Right. You know, the, need to, uh, the need to be compelling and interesting and clear and, and forthright and all those things, is that, that's a characteristic of any good uh, descriptive and instructional writing. So my skills are transferable from addition to addition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, some, I mean, Jeremy mentioned earlier that you obviously have now worked on five editions of the game. And, you know, even though you're sadly leaving us now, or at least sad for us, uh, where do you think that the game should go from here? I mean, do you have any thoughts about the future of the game and, and you know, where it's headed? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, nobody told me there'd be design questions here. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm not in a real good position to philosophize about sure. where I think the game will end up. But I have thought a little bit about where it's come from. Mm. And, and I've come up with a metaphor, or at least part of one, that I think works. Uh, if uh, third edition and to a larger extent perhaps fourth edition were the cocoon, then D&D Next is the butterfly. Mm. We, we wove a very rigid, self-defining set of rules for a while in the, in the system, and it wasn't as freeform as it used to be. But now, uh, we're breaking out of those constraints without forsaking any of the, the, the structure that you necessarily, uh, that you need to have. But I think fifth edition will be a, you know, it's, it's a new breath of freedom for people who play the game because the decisions are more your own now. The, Decision points are more, you know, you feel like you're you're in control of when they occur and, and how you resolve them. Um, it's a it's a stronger emphasis on the story and less of an emphasis on how the story plays out in a mechanical sense. And I, I appreciate that a lot. I think it's headed in the right direction. 
Boy, I'm glad to hear you say that. that. <laughs> there, you know, there is, there can be no other direction. I mean, yeah. we, we wouldn't do the game if we couldn't do what we wanted to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like you, Rodney, I am uh, <laughs> I am always happy if I can hear you, Kim, say yes. You have done well. <laughs> <laughs> when I first got here to Wizards, uh, I was working on the Star Wars role playing game, and basically, besides Chris, the first person I really interacted with a lot was Kim, because Kim was managing editing everything. Everything, and I kind of felt like when those Star Wars books, we'd we'd get we'd sit down, we'd have. You know, hours long conversations about it, and the last thing Kim would do would sort of give the book his blessing before mm-hmm. it would uh, yeah. head out the door. Yeah, yeah, it's a process, and right. all processes come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, I've had a chance to do like Ronnie brings up with the Star Wars material. You know, the 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 venue might change, but but the work and and the the goal of the work really remains the same. So it's not like I've had you know I've just been doing the same old thing all this time. In fact. Practically no day is, is the same as any other day. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, our our listeners could grab almost any random TSR Wizards of the Coast book or issue of Dragon, and there's a good chance they're going to see your name in it. Um, and and when I say book, that could be for D and D, that could be for Star Wars, that could be for Gamma World. Uh, basically, if if we if we, being wizards and before that TSR, produced it, there's a good chance you touched it. And that it ended up being far better because of it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> well, I have to imagine that keeps things fresh, though, right? Yeah. Trying lots of different things. Well, because literally every piece of work is different. Um, you know, if, if you look at it on that kind of level, <clears throat> there's never any two jobs that are the same when you, when you do what I do. Um, every particular piece of writing brings its own has its own idiosyncrasies or lack thereof, and uh, you've got to approach it and, and do the best you can for that particular piece of work. So I never feel like everything gets into a you know. There's no cookie cutter involved here. There is no you can apply this principle multiple times. You're lucky if you can apply it twice sometimes. <laughs> um, but as long as you treat each piece of work with with you know the respect that that unique piece of information deserves, then what's going to come out the other end is better than what came in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and not only is, is each work different, but each author is different. And, mm. and I, I've been imagining, you know, as I, as I think of all the people who've worked on, you know, our various role-playing game products, our magazine articles, stories for amazing stories. I mean, the number of authors who've had the benefit of your editing is at, at this point pretty much countless. I mean, we, it would be difficult to Recreate a full list of everyone who's had work that ended up sparkling even more because of the Kim Mohan touch. I haven't actually thought of it in those terms up till now, mm-hmm. but it is kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I get for being around so long. That's really the secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then I know many of our authors have uh, loved the chances of not only getting guidance from you through. Through correspondence, but also like this last Gen Con, um, where a number of our freelance writers got to spend hours sitting with you, uh, getting tips on their writing, on their design, and yeah, know, I th- still think you could have charged a thousand bucks an hour. For yes, that. Uh, seriously. No. Yep. Next time. Next time. <laughs> but I, I described that after the fact as wonderfully exhausting because it was like <laughs> high intensity from the start of the day to the end of the day. But every hour I got to start, you know, shift gears a little bit and do something different with a different person. And I felt like I'd 
run a race at the end of it, but it, it all felt really good too. It's it's nice to give reaction to people when you know they're taking it to heart, and it, you know it's actually going to do both of us some good that, that that interchange took place. You feel like there was a big transition for you when you moved out to the West Coast in terms of either how you worked or how you went about your day to day job. Um, yes, and every every aspect of that transition was great. Um, they, you know, there, there was nothing at all wrong with with what with what went on during the time that we trans transferred from TSR to Wizards. Um, <clears throat> Peter brought the people out here that he knew and trusted to do the work. I think we coalesced into a group and did the work. And I think uh, at that time, Wizards was was comfortable with letting us have as much time as we needed to get the next version of the game into the best possible shape. Um, which is an attitude that persists even to today, right? Um, yeah. We're we are not going to make a game, it's not going to be done before it's done. Um, and I've always respected the fact that when we came out and, and started to work in Seattle, we didn't have to hit the ground running in a bad way. And it, was, it must have been kind of weird, too, to be transplanted, not just by yourself, but effectively with the whole family, well, or, or most of the family, and then be dropped into an even larger family. Um, an even larger family, to be sure. But even so, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, most of us just saw each other the same way that we did mm -hmm. back in Lake Geneva. Yeah. And I think being being relocated as a group like that had to help our, our unity and our, our sense of oneness, right? It wasn't like we all came out here dribs and drabs over a period of weeks or months. It was all pick up and move, and here you are in your new workplace. Um, but it was great. I, I yeah have nothing bad to say about the way any of that was handled, either on an individual level or, as far as I know, a corporate level. Couldn't have happened uh, at a better time to a better group of people. What would you say is one of your favorite or best projects? Of all the things you've worked on, is there anything that's I'm going to say something out? that's recent, only because it, it immediately comes to mind and most likely because it's recent. Yeah. Um, Edminster's uh, Book of, of the Forgotten Realms. I forgot the the actual long title, right? Oh, Ed, Ed Greenwood, Greenwood presents, presents Elminster's, Elminster's Forgotten, Forgotten Realms. Realms. Right. right. Um, this was an opportunity. Yeah, fitting that on the spine, by the way. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was a, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Greatest challenge of the book. <laughs> um, for a couple of reasons, this this will stick out in my mind for a long time. I think. First of all, it was almost entirely story, and we got a chance to to do something of a, of an almost completely fictional nature. And even better than that, I got a chance to work with Ed mm -hmm. for an extended, high-intensity period of time, um, which is something that we hadn't enjoyed or, or had a chance to do for years and years, even back long before we moved out here from, from Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, Ed's been a novel writer, and he's been a, a, an extremely, unbelievably prolific uh, producer of all sorts of content, but most of it did not go through me directly from him. Uh, it, when I worked with something that had Ed's name on it in the past, it was because Ed wrote a piece of something, or maybe Ed wrote the entirety of it, but it had already then been processed by other people. And this time I got to work with unadulterated Greenwood, and I got to work right with the man. And those two things together were a, a, a real challenge and a, and a pleasure both at the same time. Yeah, with Ed, for every word that he gives you, you feel like he's holding 50 in reserve. Uh -huh. yes. And yes. for every 10 that he gives you, he probably could have kept another three or four. <laughs> <laughs> so thing, says my fellow editor. <laughs> the thing I think that I miss about um, the early days working on Ed before email was so became the delivery vehicle for most of our content 
was the packages he used to send. Do you remember mm. those? Oh, that that was part of the the book, right? We yeah. uh, we took some of the old manuscript material, uh, which was still here and, and hadn't crumbled to dust yet, uh, and we we reproduced a number of those pages and some of his handwritten diagrams and artistic renderings and whatnot. Those are inside the book as essentially graphic elements, and in my opinion, they're they're one of the most attractive elements of the book. Yeah. Each one has a little caption that that written by Ed that that gives you the background and the underpinning that you need to appreciate what was going on when I wrote this, or what were the circumstances behind how this came to be. Um, and I just think that that really was the icing on the cake. Yeah. Do you remember when he used to send um, manuscripts to the magazines and they'd be wrapped up like nested dolls? Like there would be 16 layers of things you'd have to go through to get to the disc or the article within. He was just protecting it, right? He was, yeah, he was, he was totally protecting it from the, from the border guards <laughs> <laughs> who would get frustrated after the first four or five layers. That's right. That's uh, probably nothing. <laughs> yeah, but it would be, you know, an envelope and you'd open that up and then it would be this tinfoil wrap and you'd pull off the tinfoil and there was a plastic wrap and then there was like an adamantine layer you had to cut through and then more plastic and more tinfoil and eventually you'd come to this little disc at the end. This uh, floppy disk. He's, his, a, he's a cautious submitter, is what it really yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Greenwood has always been mm -hmm. ingenious. Yes. <laughs> so I know a lot of your your early years were spent working on Dragon. Um, I want to ask the same question that Chris just asked, but more specifically about Dragon. Does anything stand out from your time working on on the magazine as a, a favorite or a particularly memorable issue, article, anything like that? There are things that that spring to mind as pleasant memories that may not have been stellar achievements, mm -hmm. right? But but when I think of the the days at Dragon and back then, and I'm not, not meaning to contrast this in any way with, with the present day situation, but when we did that magazine, we had fun. Um, <laughs> and a lot of the fun stuff, I think, came out, a lot of the fun attitude came out in the content. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an issue uh, maybe a year or so into my tenure when I and one of my coworkers created the game called Food Fight. Oh yeah, it was the uh, the center mm -hmm. inclusion in Dragon that mm -hmm. that month, and uh, yeah. we got paid for this. Come on, <laughs> um, <laughs> being able to you know to just do things like that because we were in charge, you know, it it had a little bit of the inmates running the asylum aspect to it, but it, we also you know we we took that responsibility and, and I think we used it wisely. When we had fun, it was for a good purpose. Um, I will always remember, at least in vague terms, the April Fool's issues. Oh, yeah, sure. Because I, I kind of like to be funny when I can. And um, we had a lot of fun being, being facetious and sometimes even facetious on a level where people reading the magazine didn't know what we were up to. So it was yeah. kind of a, um, a double having, having come up through magazines myself, I, as a reader, early reader of Dragon, took it for granted that they were they – were, easy to put together. It was only when mm. I was trying to put one together myself that I realized the hundreds of thousands of decisions that actually go into putting the issue together. I couldn't even imagine having to put it together with tape or, you know, oh. or anything or without a computer. You want to talk about the olden days? Is that yeah. what you're getting to? <laughs> I'm sort of pointing in that yeah. direction. Well, I, in what fact, was it like? I was, I was thinking about something just earlier today that has crossed my mind a few times. I've in, in, in terms of being on the threshold between paradigm shifts in technology, right? Back in the day, it was typewriters. You remember typewriters? I've and, seen them and, uh, and <laughs> in sharp, museums. Sharp knives and straight edges. Next to King Tatsumami. Okay. Right. Oh, come on. You're not that young. <laughs> Various forms of I'm hand tools. I'm a leap baby. I'm younger than all of you. That's right. I always will be. Are you, are you 11 now? Yes. Yeah. 
but go on. going on, I don't know what. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the uh, tools of the trade were somewhat different back then, which is to say they were actually tools. I mean, mm -hmm. um, and I, I, remember, I remember noticing at one point in time, I and mean, this was back in the day when proper manuscript format was the byword of everybody who wanted to be a writer, right? And you could get lots of books that would show you exactly how to frame your manuscript pages. Mm -hmm. You know, margins of this much, and up here in the corner, there's a little line where you put, you know, the approximate word count, and down here is your name and address, and all this. Well, that works fine, and and everything we got was, you know, mostly properly formatted. Then I could tell something was afoot when the day the day came when I got one of these things in the mail. I opened it up and I pulled out the first page and looked at all the particulars, and up in the right-hand corner was the line. Approximately 5,241 words. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, we've, we've, we've crossed over some kind of threshold here. There's, you know, now we have word countability, and we have this thing called word processors. And now we were still dealing in, in physical paper turnovers, and, and we used the U.S. mail to get our material back and forth. It was a long time after that before uh, sending disks even through the mail mm -hmm. became standard practice, and now there's no such thing as that anymore either. So we really, and Dragon has seen the, the full spectrum of technology in its, in its time, as has any publication that's been around this long. But you know, it's kind of interesting to have been there for each of the phases of it. Sometimes I'm you know, readily accepting of new technology. I think I have been most of the time. Other times it feels like I, I need to learn this just because I need to learn it. Uh, but it's all been good for, for the way the work gets done. Did the, did the way the magazine used to be put together ever compromise your ability as an editor or make you feel like you couldn't do your job? Um, I don't think so, yeah. if I understand the question properly. Um, in fact, when I think back about all the work that we did in every 30-day period just to get the material together and down on pages and looking decent and off to the printer and then do it all over again, I mean, I, I almost can't imagine doing that today, but I'm a lot older than today than I was. And, so. and, and it wasn't a slim magazine. No, it was, it was, it was thick and hefty. And yeah. you know, it, uh, at the most populous time, uh, our editorial staff was four people. Hmm. So um, I, I suppose if we stepped back and took a look at what we were actually doing, we might have been a little amazed at it. But we were having too much fun. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> now, I don't think the, the strains of production or the fact that we had to do it manually was a limiting factor. Okay. And I'm not even sure I would have perceived that if it had been, it was just part of what we had to do, had to work with. There was no other more efficient way to do it. So, yeah. And, and we still have production struggles today. It's yeah. just the different, different sorts. Now we're just, now we're cursing at InDesign instead of at a typewriter. Exactly. Do you have any amazing, amazing story stories? Um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> Threw me for a loop. <laughs> I'll tell you my, uh, First time I saw Mr. Bob Silverberg's story. Oh, great. Okay. Robert Silverberg, science fiction writer of, of immense renown, did a column for Amazing for years and years called Reflections. He followed the magazine through all of its ups and downs, and he stayed with us through, through the thick and thin, mostly thin. <laughs> and when I took over the magazine, I continued, you know, started a correspondence with him and continued to, to use the columns. We, we had lots of, of correspondence in the mail, never spoke on the phone. Uh, never needed to back in the day, and we. Although I think we had email at that point, we just didn't communicate that way. But we, uh, I got a story from him, and I got columns every month, and I thought we had a, a pretty nice long-distance relationship going. 
the next fall, I went to Worldcon in Chicago, where I knew he was going to be. Yes, I was there. And we, uh, you know, we said, definitely we'll have to hook up and finally get to meet each other. Well, unbeknownst to him, I just got in my room and I was walking through the, the downstairs part of the hotel on my way, way over to the convention center and I saw off in the distance sitting at a, at a table, him and his wife. So I said, oh, okay, now's my chance. And I took a right and I started to walk over to introduce myself to him. He became aware of me maybe 10 or 15 feet before I got to the table and he sort of looked up and to the left and gave me an expression the likes of which I've never seen before or since. It was one of those, who is this approaching me and what am I going to have to do to get away from him? <laughs> um, and before he could bolt or do anything else drastic, I, I got up and, and introduced myself and held out my hand and it was like a great sigh of relief went over the, and uh, that was how I finally met Bob. Um, and we've had a number of, of personal encounters since then that everyone's been just a, a joy for me to experience. You know, I'm a, I'm an old fan from, you know, yeah. before I was a, uh, even before I was an editor, back when I was a teenager, I was reading him and, and never even thinking about the possibility of meeting him, much less getting to work with him. Um, you know, my time at Amazing Stories is chock full of names I could drop, yeah. right? And, and to me, even without doing that, um, these are memories that I'll, I'll never lose. You know, the chance to work with fill in the blank. What are some of those names? Um, okay, I'll drop them. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan Ellison mm -hmm. is, oh, wow. is, in my opinion, a prince among men. Uh, that opinion is not shared by most of the rest of the people in the known world, <laughs> but you know, I, I think it's all in, in how you happen to get along with him and how he mm -hmm. happens to take you. And in, in our case, he he took me quite well, and we had a, a, a lot of good encounters together. You know, you, there's nothing much more of an ego boost that you could experience to be at a science fiction convention and have Harlan come across the room to you just to say hi and shake your hand in the presence of, you know, a few hundred other people. Yeah. You know, I'll take that any day of the week. Um, and he's a genius. I, I, I've read that everything he he's written, and uh, I, I, hope he, I hope he never dies. <laughs> um, a lot of people who I guess I'm proud of having met or worked with because they've gone on to have some degree of renown, James Allen Gardner has became a novelist of, of pretty good repute uh, after getting some stories published in Amazing, and I'm sure other places, but I, you know, I like to think that I'm one of the editors in one of the magazines that helped him get his start. So uh, there's a few on that level. There's a few on the, the upper level. You know, Fred Pohl, um, nicest person you'd ever want to meet. Uh, a lot of these people who I guess I came to understand after I met a few of them that it was okay to meet them all. But <laughs> for, the, for the longest time when I took the job, I was pretty intimidated. I wasn't sure if I could even approach these folks without seeming like a... Uh, Wanting fan, but the more I did it, the easier it got, and it was it was definitely one of the highlights of my life to rub elbows with that crowd for as long as I got to do it. Well, and now I know there are there are D and D fans who would feel that way about meeting you. Uh, I mean, especially once they 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 put the pieces together. And so, for some of us who work with you, that was our response initially. I mean, because mm -hmm. when I was young. The Wilderness Survival Guide was one of my favorite D&D <laughs> books. And so it was mind-blowing when I came to Wizards of the Coast 
And not only not only to work with you, but you were also one of the three people, along with you, Chris, who interviewed me. Mm-hmm. And I came to Wizards, and it was like, I am being interviewed by the Kim Mohan. <laughs> there can be only one. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I, I, I've often said about Wilderness Survival Guide that it's the book written by someone whose idea of the wilderness is the distance between the door of the house and the door of the car. <laughs> 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 Which I think is probably true for many of us who play D and D. I can't go outside. There's bears outside. <laughs> I like seeing trees out there. <laughs> well, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, it it is a pleasure for all of us at Wizards of the Coast to work with you, Kim. You have brought uh, immeasurable happiness to the many people who've read the things you've written and edited. But before we close the podcast, I want to give you the chance to close with any thoughts of your own. Uh, you, you can basically be the outro on, <laughs> on today's uh, podcast. Well, it's, um, I, I feel kind of like the, the uh, famous athlete who gets a microphone shoved in his face right after he's just won the World Series. How do you feel? Well, I'm not quite sure. It hasn't really sunk in yet. And especially in this case, because the event of, of me just not being here anymore hasn't come to pass. I have a kind of an idea what Monday might be like, but I'm not sure I really know. All I know is that I'm looking forward to an opportunity to do some different things with my time and uh, and still be around. I'm I'm you know I'm not vanishing. I'm not I'm not relocating. You're just up the street, in fact. I'm I might end up being less visible, more visible in some ways than I have been during my career. So. Um, no threats there or anything. Um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see you lurking well, around. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> I guess what I want to say in, in closing for now is that it is just for now. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you guys want to have me back or, you know, if you want to uh, do something off the cuff at any point in time, um, it might be a nice break from whatever my routine has come to be. Yeah. yeah so we would love to have you back. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Well, that, that closes this installment of the D&D Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and good gaming. <laughs>